So first off, thanks for uh, inviting me to come and, uh, and, and talk about my career, my thoughts. Um, I know you guys have had a number of pretty interesting, you know, speakers and and uh, and presenters, and you know, I just give my own personal perspective on my career and and uh, appreciate the opportunity. So, just to give a high level of my background, um, you know, as uh, as was mentioned in the beginning, I'm the the head of human resources here for Selenis. And how did I get here? So. First, I started at, at, at my undergraduate degree was in um, industrial psychology, and really, at that point in time, I fir first my first year, I thought I was going to be a teacher, and uh, you know, then shortly thereafter, I was like, you know, that's not really what I want to be. It's really the school system is really the only thing I knew at the time, so I kind of branched out into other interests. My father was a welder in a union. My mother was a seamstress in a sewing mill, and uh, one day my dad had a really strong union perspective, really labor-focused, management's out to get us type of mentality. That's kind of the mentality and the environment, union, hardcore, blue-collar environment that I grew up with. And he was like, he actually suggested, hey, why don't you look into labor relations or human resources? And that's really how I kind of got my interest in, in this, this whole field and area. And that's industrial organizational psychology, which is really the psychology of the workplace, is, is kind of what I orchestrated myself with a minor in business management. So that's kind of the start. Then, you know, after my undergrad, I, I applied for to a few graduate universities and also to a few jobs got a couple of job offers and the the graduate assistantship at a couple of the schools was more financially enticing and experience wise so I decided to go to Villanova University for my graduate degree in human resource development and it was an interesting program because it was an opportunity a lot of the students there only 20-30% of the students were full-time students and 70-80% of the students were working and going to school so it really was an interesting fit my interests and needs in being more of an applied focused uh, program with people working and, and having experiences and bringing a lot of diversity to the program. So during my time there I got uh, an internship uh, my later part of my experience at Villanova I got an internship with Roman Haas company specialty chemical company in Philadelphia and you know at the time Roman Haas was going through some interesting um, changes they had just made a big acquisition for for Morton International Chemicals which the the famous brand of Morton Salt that's right around the time that I joined and as parlayed an internship into a full-time opportunity and over the course of you know several years, I did a variety of, of different roles. And I kind of said in here in the trenches because I fortunately really wasn't orchestrated by a, a formal development program. But over the course of, of several years, did roles in a, a HR roles in a plant, you know, working with the union, working in for a recruiting role, in a comp compensation role, in a you know different types of uh, leadership, leadership development, leadership organizational effectiveness was the it was the group I was I did a role with that group. So 
I got a broad perspective of doing a lot of different things, but I would say the most probably probably the most developmental experience of my career was during those years where dealing with people, working with in downsizing situations where I had to deal with individuals and give them rough bad news, uh, stressful at that time in my life. I was like, wow, how can I be telling people they don't have a job or they're you know going to be you know, no longer going to have a role in the company. I mean, that was not a pleasant experience, but really formative and give gives a perspective as later on, as you kind of get a little bit removed from the direct contact with some of those decisions, it really was a helpful perspective. So during that time was a very valuable time during my development. Then I kind of gravitated a little bit away to, away from you know, the plant roles, the site roles, the labor, the blue, the blue collar environment role that I kind of initially, uh, initially sparked my interest. And I was like, you know, I'm interested in other aspects of this, this field in this career. You know, there's aspects where, you know, people are helping the business in a more strategic way, or they're thinking, how can we grow the business? Or how can we, you know, be a partner with the business and hiring people and developing people. And it was frankly, more interesting to me because the, the initial part that sparked my interest I had that perspective and now I wanted to do something different. So I fortunately got an opportunity to do that in a, a variety of different roles um, as my roles grew over the years with Roman Haas. And um, then prior to the, the Dow chemical acquisition of Roman Haas company, I was in a, a fairly large business partner role at Roman Haas and was fortunate enough to get a pretty a pretty sizable role in the post acquisition environment with Dow Chemical and that really started to expose me to M&A and and kind of integration and the culture development in a new company and just the work and the focus and the energy around those things which if you fast forward to today is pretty applicable to the things that we're we're doing today with Selenus so these experiences really helped to kind of give me a perspective at minimum of the things that we're doing today. So Dow Chemical, 50,000 employees, more than 50,000 employees, more than 50, 60 billion dollars in annual revenue at the time that I was with them. It was a very different culture from Roman Haas, the, the culture I grew up in. And I, I felt like, you know, an opportunity came along with Ashland uh, Chemical and uh, pr pretty much doing a similar role in almost the same size role, but instead of a $50 billion company, Ashland was a $9 billion company, so it was a pretty sizable role with with a lot of impact of the HR leadership team for the company, and I felt like, okay, I can make a switch in the same industry, leverage my experiences, but have larger impact. And that's kind of why I made the move to Ashland. So more of a closer culture to Roman Haas, not quite, but closer than Dow Chemical, and I thought it was a good a good move. Then I got the opportunity during my tenure at Ashland to, to lead up talent management, which instead of being working with one business or working as a partner with the business, to kind of work at a global organizational level and, and be a functional owner for a pretty key area, talent management, um, and, and you know, help the company form their, their kind of programs and perspective here. 
Um, Ashton wasn't that focused in this area at a global and corporate level, so opportunity to give some structure and some framework, and also gave me a good experience and perspective, uh, you know, in in this uh, in this space within the HR field. So then, the opportunity with Selenis came along, and uh, you know, John, I, I knew John uh, from the the my time at Ashland and you know we were talking about this opportunity and I, I was hesitant at first because I said hey you know I kind of like the talent space private equity is private equity environment you know are they going to be concerned about talent are they just concerned about kind of the cost management of things and you know but I was interested in leading HR a function of HR and uh, you know at the time Ashland was you know the the head of HR at Ashland. She 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 told me, hey, you're a, a potential successor. I'm going to retire in 18 months, and you'd be my recommended candidate. So why don't you stay with Ashland? You know, John was on the flip side, kind of saying, hey, come do it now. Come get 18 months of experience leading HR, and you know, that's basically what I decided to do. I, I decided to 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 take a risk and and go do it. And, uh, and and jump into the opportunity and, and fortunately, you know, my concern was quickly relieved because we're fortunate to have good owners in, in CD&R who really are focused on talent more than I would have expected from a private equity owner, but they're very focused on talent with their operating partners and their programs and they want to talk about talent at our, all of our board meetings. So it ended up being a really good move for me and opportunity. So that's kind of a real high-level timeline of my background and, and my you know interests and path. And more than happy to answer questions in a page or two. But let me um, let me take a step to the next page and kind of what has worked for me. You guys had asked me to put together some thoughts or what I think. I don't know what has worked for me or what I generally think works. I guess it's a combination of both in terms of moving along and progressing within your career and, and performing well, frankly. Um, the first one, the first bullet I said, confidence, confidence, confidence. I, and I think this is interesting. I, my, I'll use a couple of analogies, my, cause I learn a lot with, I have two sons and, and, and both my boys play sports. My older son's 13 because I'm just talking to him about the confidence and he plays basketball. He's a good shooter, but sometimes I can tell when he doesn't have confidence cause if you shoot with confidence, the ball generally goes in more often, the basket. And when you don't have confidence, you can tell right away. Missing a lot of shots, you look hesitant, takes a long time. So I was had this conversation with him about, you know, hey, you need to shoot with confidence. And he's arguing with me. He's like, well, you either have confidence or you don't have confidence. I said, no, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think generally some people might be a little more confident than others, but there's a lot of things you can do to increase your confidence and I think it can also be looked at as a kind of a strategy and a goal and an approach you know there's a ton of work psychology books there's a ton of sports psychology as I told him in terms of being positive in the, in the way you kind of think about things like you know pot, positive self-talk there's just practice there's just basic practice work study make yourself more confident by being more competent at the topic um, consistently work on it and develop, see if you can develop new skills. Is your technique right? In his example, is his form right? Is he shooting enough? Do you shoot enough shots? You don't shoot enough shots if they're not going in right or you're not shooting confidently. 
So those are, I think that's, in terms of what works, if you're confident at what you do because you're well prepared and because you've used strategies to make yourself a little bit more confident, I think it makes a huge difference in anything. Take some risks, don't fear failure. This is much easier said than done. And generally I'm a person that kind of goes to the worst case scenario in my head on things. And usually the worst case scenario doesn't happen. And a lot of times even the worst case scenario isn't the end of the world. So if you kind of start there, at least this is, this is my sick mental framework, but that enables me to take some more risks and not necessarily fear failure or the worst because it just gives a little bit more degrees of freedom in going after something. Have a plan, expect it to change. I think, you know, this is, you, you can never plan perfectly, but if you don't have a plan, you're really kind of doomed for failure. But if you have a plan, at least you can kind of adapt and adjust a little bit and have a reference point. So I think this is, is critical to kind of be prepared and then also have the, you know, the, the mentality that it's likely not going to be executed perfectly, um, but at least I can adjust. I think this is, this is how I generally try to approach things. And, uh, you know, I would say, you know, for the most part, it's, it's, it's a good way to think about things. You know, for those that know me closely, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in fitness. I do CrossFit. Um, one of the terminologies in CrossFit, if there's any CrossFitters on the phone, is an AMRAP. An AMRAP is as many rep, reps as possible. So a lot of the workouts are kind of like, there's in 10 minutes, do as many reps of these two exercises as possible. You're going to do, you know, pull-ups and push-ups. So in 10 minutes, you're going to do five pull-ups and 10 push-ups and keep doing that for as many reps as possible in 10 minutes. That mentality, I you know, there's, there's some books and there's some studies that I recently read on this and connect, connecting the dots here. In terms of, and I, the reason I focused on this for myself was more around how do you become more productive in it and focused and use time wisely. In, in really, let's use email as an example. If you're, get, if you're like me, you get a ton of email every day. So if there's an hour that you can dedicate on email during a day, well, then really zero in and focus on that for and get as many done as possible. And I think that mentality when you're focused on something, kind of get trying to get, when you're buckling down and focusing to try to get as many, have a goal to get as many done as possible, whether it's email, phone calls, or things you're reading, or contacts you're making through, you know, whether it be sales or networking, you know, I think it's a good mentality in chunks of time to try to be productive and focused. And there's some books on it, and for those of you that might, you know, be aware of the terminology, it's, uh, I think it can be applicable outside of the fitness and, uh, and workout space. Next one I said is show up consistently. It's amazing how many people don't. And this is like basic, um, you know, I, I, again, back to my son, I always tell him if he's trying to get his stuff together to go to practice, I'm like pushed him along and he's getting irritated. I'm like, listen, showing up on time is the like easiest thing that requires no talent. So show up on time or show up. Don't miss. 
yes, put the work in when you're there, but don't miss because it's amazing how many people don't show up on time and don't show up consistently. And I think that goes a long way in a lot of things, whether it be for meetings, whether it be in person when you need to be there for a critical meeting, whether it be working on an issue, you know, showing up consistently just at a basic level is more than a lot of people do. And that can translate into a lot. Hard work on top priorities. I think the, you know, the famous, you know, you know, work work smarter. You know, I think the, the world is so competitive, uh, and there's so many good people and good talent out there that it's not only good enough to be the hardest worker or working the smartest. You kind of have to put a combination of those things together and focus on. What are the what are the be, the biggest priorities, the biggest impact items that I can work on, and focus on those and work really hard at those. Uh, and I think that's that's the mentality, and you know that's really going to separate top talent leaders, people that want to progress in the workplace, or the you know in my son's example in the sports environment. You know that I think is is critical. It's not. There isn't a silver, you know, bullet or a one, you know, easy answer for, you know, I see all these quick gimmick exercise things, those types of things. I don't believe any of them. Hard work on the right things is is what gets it there. And then probably most importantly, if you do some of these things, it can get exhausting. <laughs> the first five or six bullets. Life can become a grind. The work can become a grind. And it's important, I think, and I struggle with this at times, admittedly, to not let it become a grind that you get burned out. And turning off, disconnecting, recharging on a regular basis that you can physically come back and mentally uh, really recharge is important. It's very important. I mean, just look at it. People need sleep. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. Your performance diminishes if you get let if you get don't get enough sleep. So you need to kind of go recharge, clear your head, come back hard, and uh, I think that's critically important. So there's no rocket science in these these items. This is kind of what I think, and uh, I think it's generally what I try at times. Sometimes I don't succeed in all these, but try to kind of keep my uh, my head around these types of things and as a framework and it's how I approach my career and life in general and uh, hopefully it's helpful. The, the final um, slide, I just put a chart here, this is kind of how I recharge. I coach my boys in sports, my fan, spend time with my family, I mentioned the CrossFit. I mean, and some of these things, it's not only kind of recharging for myself, it's amazing how much I learned over the years from coaching my boys just how kids at a basic level, hu little humans respond to leadership and how they work and what motivates them and those types of things. I know adults are different, but there's a lot of similarities. So there's a lot of things you can learn in outside of this environment that you can come back and apply freshly um, in this, uh, in, the, in, the, in the, the business context in Salinas, you know, in the work world in general. So that's it. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. I think we've got a few times for questions if people want to 
unmute and ask a question to Dave or type into the, the chat box, Kathy, and I'll read it out. Okay. Sure. Well, while you're, we're, we're waiting for that to happen, Dave, I, I got a question for you. Um, I, I myself also suffer from the anticipating the worst mentality. Um, what, are, what are some trips that got you steering in the right direction, let you overcome uh, that thinking space? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I think I try to use that, like I said, I try to use that a little bit as, a, as an advantage to say, if it's, if it's not that bad, then everything else is better, <laughs> right? Every other outcome is better. But No, that's a good point. I think, I think the other thing is having a balanced some balance in life in terms of what's really important you know if the worst case scenario does happen and the bottom falls out and you lose your job or something all you know then you have other areas that you that are important to you as well it's not just all your eggs in one basket and that's kind of how i've i've tried to keep some level of balance that hey i'm going to push it um and in terms of taking some risks in terms of hey if the worst case happens so be it uh, it won't be the end of the world, and I'm going to move on. And uh, usually, and knock on wood, it, it's worst case really, really hasn't happened um, for me and for in my career. Now, some rough, challenging moments certainly, but um, you know. So I think you can use it as an advantage if you can get your head around it and psychology around it uh, correctly or effectively, I should say. Oh, thanks. That's a great answer. And I think we're having a little technology question or difficulty, so I just got texted a question. Um, uh, the question kind of revolved on following up on uh, how you give yourself permission to, to disconnect and recharge. Uh, kind of sounds like they might be from the sales team, and I can certainly relate to that. I'm on the sales force, and sometimes it's really hard to walk away from that work phone at the end of the day. Um, any follow-up comments on that, Dave? I mean, at some point, somebody told me this years ago, I mean, at some point, you, you, you could continuously be engaged, continuously, in with your email, with, you know, something. You know, at some point, you got to make a personal decision of when you're going to shut off for a period of time. And it might not be, I'm not saying days, but should you have some time every day where you're not, like, kind of, you know, continuously checking email or taking calls, absolutely. I can't imagine, even in a sales environment, that you can't go a couple hours without calling somebody back, especially if it's off regular times. I mean, if that's the case and that you can't function like that, then come see me and I'll help you find another job. I mean, or, or another manager. Um, you know, even <laughs> sure. customer, I, I think, is you know, have got to be, you know, recharging for a couple hours and then coming back and hitting it hard the next day. If you're consistent with that approach, you'll better than many people because many people will continuously be engaged and still not get back to people for days on end. So, I mean, I think it's a matter of having the personal discipline just to say, you know what, it's just going to be what it's going to be. I'm going to take this time and then I'm going to come back and hit it hard again tomorrow and come right back at it. I mean, it's 
I, I don't know how else to answer that, but I mean, it's sad if that's the case, that people can't completely disconnect at some point in time. I know that we have a demanding schedule, demanding time, but I, I just feel like if there's ability to do that, people, when they are engaged, will be much more productive and much more effective and much more focused about what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, even I mean, well, I, don't thanks, I, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. If, I mean, I actually, I don't know if John's on the phone. I know he sometimes he dials into this. He's the, he's a guy that he he has a you know the stamina and the focus and the passion around this business to really continuously stay engaged. But I also do know a little bit about John that after a certain hour at night, you're not going to get emails from him. He's a very early morning person. You get a lot of emails at like 5.30 in the morning and things like that if you work closely with him. But you're not getting many after like, you know, 7, 6, 30, 7 o'clock at night until the next one. So I know he does this as well and probably why he is able to sustain and and be so kind of engaged so, you know, so continuously. So I know, you know, that's kind of a leader that does does that on some level and makes it effective. Oh, hey, thank you. Thank you very much for sharing, Dave. I appreciate you taking the time um, and uh, sharing those, those questions that came in. And uh, thank you uh, for supporting WINS. Yeah, more, more than happy to. Thank, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Wonderful. I'll hand it over to Shailene now. All right. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, I want to thank Kathy and give me the opportunity to uh, talk to everyone about my career path. And hopefully my story is as interesting as Dave's. And uh, feel free to ask questions during my presentation uh, if you do not hear me clearly. So I was born and raised in China. And uh, uh, my hometown is called Xi'an. If you do not know the city, I'm sure you heard about the terracotta soldiers uh, those are like uh, human-sized figures uh, they discovered from uh, uh, Empress uh, Tomb uh, many years ago. That's my hometown. That's where I grew up. And I got my bachelor degree um, in China, uh, environmental engineering, and it's my degree. And uh, when I finished my college, at that time, uh, we as students uh, did not look for job. It was government who assigned, uh, assigned a job for us. So I got a job, and, um, and it was quite boring, to be honest, because um, at that time, um, all the state-owned uh, company, um, they go by seniority. And if you are a fresh graduate, you just um, go there and uh, uh, basically, not much to do. Um, how do I Okay. So that's why I decided um, I called it give up the steel bowl. You may heard the term uh, in China, you know, when, you, when at that time, when you have a job, that's all your career, and uh, there's nothing to change. It was not for me, so um, in 1988, 
or early uh, 1980s, uh, China was doing economy reform, and there were some joint venture companies. And uh, I gave up my, I call this steel bulk uh, job, and then um, get a job in a joint venture company. It's a contract job, and they do. Every, uh, it's uh, uh, you have to renew the contract every year. Of course, it was. Uh, um, I had a big argument with my parents, and uh, they don't understand why I was doing that. Um, so, at that time, you know, uh, when I uh, had that job, I realized there were more things um, me as a twenty-some um, years old can do. And uh, um, uh, but not much in uh, technology because uh, I had my degree in engineering. And when when I was looking for opportunity, somehow, and uh, in 1991, and believe it or not, uh, Walt Disney World they were looking for people in China who want to go to United States working in Africa Center, uh, do the cultural exchange with uh, different um, young people from different countries. If you, go, if you ever go to Disney World, Africa Center, you know there are 11 pavilions. There are 11 pavilions there. People who work there really coming from the countries, like uh, German, uh, China, Mexico, and uh, I joined that program. You know, I had an interview with the people who came to, uh, from Disney. Uh, they asked questions, and uh, somehow they think I can do the job. So I came to United States uh, because of that program. That's why I made a comment here. It was Mickey Mouse who brought me to the United States. And uh, there's also a funny story some of you may heard. Uh, the first day I arrived in the United States, it was October 31st, 1991. Uh, 1991, there was no internet and there's no computer. So I learned all the American culture from the textbook. So I heard about Halloween, and, but I don't know what that means. So October 31st, with my two suitcases, I arrived at Atlanta Airport, and I saw people with those ghost masks and uh, uh, the costumes. It was a big shock for me, a culture shock. But I didn't go back. I only have a one-way ticket here, so and that's how I landed. Um, in the culture exchange program in Walt Disney, what I learned is a culture diversity. I really enjoyed the year there. And we had people from uh, different countries live together, have Samnak together. I really learned, you know, uh, people from different countries when they talk or when they communicate, there's a different perspective. So that's the part I really enjoy. So after the uh, Disney year, and um, um, I think, you know, uh, I had an interest to stay here and continue my uh, study, continue my education. Uh, so I applied uh, to uh, go to my graduate school and in University of Central Florida, where the, um, it's in Florida. So I got my master's degree there, and then, you know, um, after that, um, Again, you know, I feel in United States there was more opportunities at that time for me as a profession to grow. 
So I decided to look for a job, and the first job I landed is an elderly kid, which is an electronic gas company. Now I think it's a part of the air product. Um, I, um, first job I have is an analytical chemist in a, a production uh, facility. Um, after a year, and uh, uh, I wasn't looking for a job, but uh, with all the resumes I sent out uh, at the beginning, and somehow Degusa, um, they contact me. Uh, they were looking for an analytical chemist, and uh, uh, when I checked the uh, Degusa, uh, by then it was Hughes America. Um, I think there's you know better opportunity. It was an R&D uh, technical center, and uh, it. I think it's more attractive to me, so I made a move to work for Hughes by, uh, and then eventually become Ivanic. I work in Piscataway, New Jersey, that site, for uh, over 10 years, and uh, uh, yeah, about 10 years. During that 10 years, there are four or five integrations and the company name change and uh, um, different uh, management come. So there are two milestones I want to point out. One is um, when I learned a job in Who's American, I was an analytical chemist in the R&D uh, function. And uh, after a few years, um, I feel I, I would like to get more close to the customers and uh, see the day-to-day -day operation. So when uh, Hughes is merging with Degusa, and they were deciding to close a technical center in uh, Akron, Ohio. They need somebody who uh, take care of this project. Uh, so I made a move and applied for the job, and I got it. And uh, um, uh, the project um, had a lot, you know, I learned quite a bit. Uh, you need to do the technical transfers, you need to move the equipment from one facility to another, and then you need to move, merge the two teams together. So that's a part I um, learned quite a bit. And uh, um, after a few years, and I feel my job getting stable again, and uh, with my personality, I feel like I need some change. And then, um, so there was an issue at our production site, and uh, um, what I did is um, I contact the production site manager, and uh, just to say if there's something I can do, because, you know, I was managing the analytical team there, and uh, part of our job is to provide the support to the uh, plant. So I, um, um, what I did, is, this milestone is me using the Six Sigma technique to um, address the issue at our uh, production site. And uh, it was uh, very hard not only because uh, Six Sigma was a new thing to me, I was in the process of learning that, the other part is to convince the plant engineers agree with the data and also the uh, fundings I discovered. And this, this project gave me the opportunity to learn how to work uh, with the people from different functions, also to convince the people with the uh, data 
and so data is rather important for me. So that's, you know, and uh, I worked there for 10 years. And uh, uh, the reason why I moved to uh, Hercules is uh, because of the family reason. My husband was commute two hours one way each day. Uh, at that time, it was rather difficult, and uh, so I decided to look for a job uh, which is closer to his company. And uh, 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 Hercules was looking for somebody who managed the customer analytical team at that time, so I got a job there. And that's how I started with uh, Hercules, now um, um, we call Salonis. Um during the journey with Hercules, again, I started in 2008, and uh, now it's 2019. Ten years of time, we have how many uh, integrations as well? We have, um, we were Hercules three months after I joined the company, we become Ashland. And uh, um, there is also an integration involved as well. And uh, because of the integration, my job function changed. I have to move another, uh, I have to move a lab from New Jersey to uh, Wilmington. And again, this is another integration project. 2014, Ashland sent uh, our portion of business out from their core business. And uh, uh, because of this spin off, and there was a special project coming to me, and uh, I have to um, build a team. Uh, I call that R&D, analytical team, to support our company. So this is another a special project. Um, I have learned quite a bit, not only building the team, and also how to carve out the business from the existing one. And I did not um, get and experience in the past, I learned uh, during that process. Uh, it was uh, rather, it was not easy, but you know, and I think uh, at this stage, I'm happy to say being there done that. So 20, uh, right now we have a, um, we just started, February 1st is our new company, BASS and Salonis, we become a joint venture company. And uh, um, I'm sure you know many of you have been involved during this integration. There are a lot of work and a lot of holes need to be filled uh, after we become a new company. Me as well, and uh, we have a Charlotte lab um, in North Carolina. Uh, it was part of BASF. Now it's uh, our new uh, part of our new company, and uh, there are a lot of things. I need to learn, my team need to learn, and we as a company need to learn as well. So this is my journey, and um, um, what I want to, in the next slide, is to point out um, what has worked for me. And uh, Dave mentioned, you know, confidence, confidence, it's, uh, you know, his first one. When I think about the, all the special projects coming to me, and uh, uh, the thing drive me to this point is responsibility. And uh, um, I, I guess that's how I was raised. That's how I, you know, maybe my part of my personality. When something comes to me, when I uh, need to take care of something, 
I always think I need to finish this. You know, if you are a parent, you are know each par each uh, kids they have a different personality. Some some kids they are you know free spirit. Some people some kids they you know um, um, they have a responsibility um, in their mind. Somehow you know I I think I'm that type type of person. Uh, when something comes to me, I need to finish that, and uh, and that's how they drive uh, me to this point, you know. And uh, each, you know, when I think about the special projects coming to me, there were many hurdles, and uh, I can, I still remember the point. Some project, at certain point, I just feel like I couldn't. You know, finish, or there was uh, so much thing to do. But because of this uh, responsibility uh, thing in my mind, and uh, I continued, and uh, that's a le lesson. Also, that's what works for me. Um, second one is to take initiative. And I mentioned to you the moves I made during my career path, right? So I take the initiative if. I feel like there is something better, or either my career or um, uh, uh, to the company, I will raise the hand and uh, make the move, um, make it happen, and uh, that's that's what works for me. And uh, if, uh, if you uh, just started as a career, um, don't think you know um, things will change uh, by waiting. You know, if you see something in the organization, it's not working. Raise your hands, take the initiative. And uh, I think that's part of my learning uh, when I just started uh, my career, and that's what I uh, keep telling my uh, team members as well. Um, Third one is adapt to change, and um, we all know change is constant now, and uh, mm, either culture change or you know uh, company integration or you know management change, and uh, we need to have an open mind to adapt to change, and uh, that's something I learned, and also I think works for me. Just have an open mind. And uh, this one, how and why. And uh, when I start to um, my career, and the fundamental thing is I need to learn how, right? As a bench scientist, it's the foundation. You know uh, your job and do it well. That's a step one. Step two is you need to understand why you want to do this job or why or we do this way. And uh, I keep asking my team members when we have a communication, why, right? What is the business behind? And that's something I think if you want to have a big picture, if you would like to advance your career, always ask why. And uh, that, that's rather important for me as well. And uh, this one, very often it takes a team to achieve a goal, so we need to know the experts in our organization. And I think that's part of the WINGS um, mission is to um, have people know the people who uh, you work with and the people work around you. And so you know when you have a question, 
either you cannot get an answer uh, within your uh, corner of the organization, you can reach out to other people, and uh, that's rather important. It is also important when you manage your project, right? And you have certain expertise, and but you need to bring other experts within this project team so you can function together to achieve a goal. So know the experts with, within your organization. Last but not least is when you start something, finish it. And uh, I think this is in line with my number one. Um, what works for me is responsibility. When I start, you know, when I start a project, I, I need, I have an urge. Well, I want to finish it. I want to finish it. And uh, it's part of like project management, time management. Also, you know, uh, the other perspective is the financial management. And. Uh, that's what works, uh, what works for me. And uh, this is rather important um, when I think about my day-to-day -day work. Um, very often, we were buried with the day-to-day -day operations. But each year, um, me, I set up, I call this pet project, pet project for me to manage, to manage. And then either it's a process improvement or technical uh, addition to the team, uh, I'll fund a special project, either one or two projects. Me work, uh, work on or I have my um, uh, team members or managers to work upon. That's how we improve our company. That's how we improve our um, individuals. So that's my story. And uh, if you have any questions, just uh, feel free to ask. Again, I want to thank uh, Wayne Team for the opportunity to share my story with you all. Thank you, Charlene. Um, now I'll open it up to the call. Does anyone have any questions for Charlene? Please feel free to, to ask or type it in the chat box. Kathy, I think while people are unmuting their phones, I'm going to take the opportunity to follow up on what Charlene said about knowing the experts within the organization and making a shameless plug for the WINS Connection Program. If you would like to know the experts in our organization but aren't sure where to start, if you go to the WINS Insight page, we have a connections program um, that's an informational networking program, and I would be happy to facilitate uh, introducing you to other people in the organization to expand your network within Salinas. And I guess, Jamie, just to follow up with that for Charlene, um, so how, how did you go about building your um, networking base, I guess, when you first started with the company? How did you get to know the experts? Very good question. Um, what I did is um, there's, whenever there's a company event, seminar or uh, presentations, if I have time, I'll be there. And, uh, um, and also talking to people, talking to people from different uh, business organizations, uh, uh, functions. And, uh, um, and that's how I started, right? In addition to talking to your managers, asking uh, or talking to the people who you work with, and uh, that's how I started. And, and one of the things, you know, um, we as a company, um, for the new employees, 
I know there is um, a map, right? New employee and how how you can build your own network. I think this is a part we as managers need to, uh, I think I need to do a better job just to help my new employees uh, get situ situated um, better, right? And um, so if you, again, to answer your question, going to events, going to seminars, be part of the community and uh, volunteer yourself, volunteer yourself to um, the culture building activities and you'll know people. Yeah. Thanks, Charlene. Any other questions on the line? Okay, if there are no more questions, um just have a couple more announcements to make before we end here. So thank you, Charlene, and thank you, Dave, for taking the time to talk with us today. It's been great hearing your stories and getting some uh, tips about how we can make some of these things work for us as well.